today on Ag News Daily. I have a colleague, uh, Dr. Wan Chang Lu, who is a professor of animal genomics <laughs> here at Penn State. Colleague. And, uh, I got it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, joined by Delaney Howe. Delaney, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, but it's pretty hot out today, Mike. Ooh, Holy cow. Who doggies. It is hot. It is sticky. Mm-hmm. Summer is back. It was up to like 70 degrees yesterday. I'm glad I mowed the lawn yesterday. It felt good yesterday. Like, I was almost thinking I needed a light jacket, and now I need to wear my bathing suit around or something. It's just hot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll put on my swim trunks if I go into town. <laughs> <laughs> Any other time, though. I've, God made the birthday suit. It's good Ew, enough for me. No, my no. God. And you know what? I've got to go into town, Delaney, because I have a horrible problem with my eye. Let's not talk about it. It's disgusting. Gosh. Podcast listeners, if you want to continue <laughs> hearing about my health issues, <laughs> let us know on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us yeah. at Ag News Daily. But, yeah, now it's an eye issue. They don't want to know, though. I promise you. It's leaky. Nope. <laughs> Your eye juice is like the nut juice conversation we had yesterday or whatever it was. Similar but very different. I don't think this could be marketed yeah. as a dairy alternative. No, well, let's not. see, Delaney. Let's jump into the news here mm-hmm. on this beautiful Friday. Before we start talking diversity in the Holstein breeding herd, what's jumping out at you? Well, of course, we have to talk about tariffs right off the bat here. Oh, my gosh. President Trump announced that he was going to impose those $50 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese property or uh, intellectual theft property and um, a bunch of other commodities and products and we certainly saw the markets react this morning with that news but they thankfully rallied um, at the at the open actually so the overnight trade reacted pretty poorly to it yes. I think soybeans were down 20 or 22 cents at one yeah point. 903 I think on the front month when yeah. I popped in this morning it was it was an ugly ugly scene it was and, I think uh, it scared some traders. I mean, I think some traders sold off early, and then we saw some rallies back to normal prices when it opened this morning. Yeah, I mean, still down. Beans were down. We'll get yeah. to it in the markets. Corn was up, actually, a little bit on the mm-hmm. day. But here's what's going on. So as of July 6th, which is when these tariffs will go into effect, um, we are charging an additional tax from China. on. Or we're charging the tax to American consumers on Chinese products on passenger cars with motors between one and a half and three cubic liters, magnetic disk drive storage units, so your hard drives, parts for pumps, including fuel pumps for cars, and valve parts, Hmm. which was interesting. One of the things they were supposed to put tariffs on, or at least was proposed in the initial thing that was put out back in March, I think, was uh, flat screen televisions. Mm -hmm. Those no longer are going to face a tariff, and uh, medical devices for artificial breathing, like I guess an iron lung, Hmm. or perhaps just an oxygen tank. Those will not face tariffs. But then, so that's phase one. As Trump said, we're going to stick $50 billion worth of tariffs on. Then China said, all right, two can play at this game. We'll do the same thing. They're going to announce their products here shortly. And then President Trump said, okay, you stick more tariffs on us. We'll stick more tariffs on you. And he has proposed another $100 billion in potential tariffs on electronic vaporizing devices, so the vapes that people can smoke, mm-hmm. uh, computer chips, CPUs, computer memory chips, so your RAM, and sheet metal roofing, siding, and flooring. Which would be probably somewhat composed of aluminum, I would suppose, right? I suppose you're probably right, yeah. Yeah, so that's those are tariffs that could be coming down the pipe, and so this is where trade wars get their name. 
one batch of tariffs mm-hmm. leads to another batch, which then leads to other retaliation. And so, yeah, that had the market spooked this morning, but now perhaps we're... We're past that. It's interesting that he's considering putting tariffs on um, the the siding and roofing and housing stuff, because if that is an aluminum or steel product, that was a discussion that we'd had with, who was it? That, uh, Scott Risden, who's the Sioux Steel... Yeah. CEO, he said, you know, that was one way for China to get around these tariffs was to import or export finished products. Finished products, right? So maybe that's one way that Trump is trying to block that as well. Yeah, close that loophole, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's where things stand as of Friday at about noon okay. with the, the tariff war. Yeah. Jeez. Boy, howdy. Well, we've got uh, other news okay. might impact the farm bill. Yes. So we reported uh, about a month ago that the House did not vote on the farm bill, or rather they voted no on the farm bill, because they wanted to vote on the immigration bill first. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, And I think that was Senator Goodlett's bill? Yes, that uh, that was one of them. So there were two competing bills, and so Paul Ryan said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to vote on an immigration bill first part of June, which is where we are, and then we'll vote on the uh, farm bill June 20th. Well... That's in five days. Is it really? Yeah. Is today the 15th? Yeah. Of June? Yeah. No! Yeah, you don't keep track of dates very well. I don't. I prefer to be surprised. Um, (laughs) So what has happened is that the House had been making compromises and really kind of fine-tuning, I guess maybe combining the two bills, and they have basically reached an agreement, and they have kept the President... The House and the Senate House? Nope, just the House. Okay. So the House, I don't think they're really concerned about the Senate. Oh. They -hmm. just want to vote on the record before Mm -hmm. the election that they're, you know... Sticking up, uh, okay. you know, for their side against yeah. uh, illegal immigration, and uh, so they've been making a lot of progress. They said President or Paul Ryan staff says they've kept President Trump in the loop at all times. Everybody seemed to be on board. They were going to vote here next week, and then in an interview with Fox News Channel yesterday, President Trump said, "Quote." I certainly wouldn't sign the more moderate of the two bills. He says, I need a bill that gives this country tremendous border security. I have to have that, end quote. Which Paul Ryan is interpreting as a presidential veto Mm -hmm. on the one bill that they might be able to get passed with regard to immigration. So we'll have to wait and see if they do get that immigration vote before the farm bill vote on the 20th. And that was the one I think that was addressing DACA. Yes. Yes, it was. You're exactly right, Delaney. So this would have, the more moderate of the bills that Trump was talking about, would have given DACA recipients, those that were brought here illegally as kids, a path to citizenship in the future. And I don't know quite what that path looked like. It wasn't immediate citizenship, mm-hmm. but, you know, if they obeyed the law and right. paid their taxes. I think there was another... Um, labor bill on the floor that also addressed H2C visa workers. And I don't know if... I think it was a different one. I don't think it was this Goodlit one. But I think there are two or three potential labor bills on the... or uh, foreign immigration slash labor bills on the floor. And this Goodlit one, I think think you're right, had the most success or most likeliness to pass. Highest probability. Yeah, but now it doesn't sound like that might be the case. Well, now now the question is, does Paul Ryan pull this bill, since he already knows the Mm -hmm. president won't support it, and do they double down on the next one to try to get some vote in? So, well, we'll continue to keep an eye on it. It's life in D.C., I suppose. That's right. Well, speaking of life in D.C., we have some new news here on the WOTUS, or Waters of the U.S., ruling, and that will take another step forward today when with the EPA is going to go ahead uh, along with the Army Corps of Engineers and send a joint proposed rule to the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, for final review. 
Interesting. Okay. We don't have any word yet on what that document looks like. Um, oh. As far as what it look, what you know, what they're rolling back on, or what the definition of a WOTUS will be. But we're hoping to get that here within the next couple of days, I would say. All right, and then we'll get to have the WOTUS discussion all over again. Hopefully this time it's not such a blatant land grab on the part of the EPA. (sighs) I've got some good news for us, Delaney. Okay. You know, we're talking a lot about trade conflicts and all this, you know, bad news in the headlines. But do you know where civility is often found? Um, where? Farm fields across this great world. Yeah. So... Secretary Purdue, Sonny Secretary Secretary Sonny Purdue of the U.S. is currently this weekend fishing with his Canadian counterpart Lawrence McCauley. They're they're up. Secretary Purdue is visiting Lawrence's farm. They're going to go out on a lobster boat, catch some lobster, chit chat. Apparently, these two guys get along really well, and they're going to strategize over what they can do to protect agriculture in all of North America. And the Secretary Purdue says, we're going to talk dairy. He says, we're not trying to get Canada, Canada to ditch their supply management system. He goes, that'll never happen. But what we are saying is, if they're going to have it, they can't be dumping milk solids onto the world market and driving prices down. So we're going to talk about that. They're going to talk about NAFTA. And hopefully, these two guys, both farmers, both with experience in government, are going to get together, probably have a couple brews <laughs> on the boat, maybe listen to some classic country music, and some good old Georgia, is that red dirt country? No, that's, no, that's Texas. Texas. That's Texas. Well, black dirt, cotton dirt, whatever the heck yeah. you call Georgia country, and uh, or Canadian country music. Maybe. I don't know if they have it up there. I think they do. They Probably have all about hockey. Costa Rican or Spanish country, because I heard it when I was in Costa Rica. Interesting. It was really cool. All right, so we'll we'll report on Monday what that's we hear coming from this agreement. That's super timely that they're going lobster fishing, because today is National Lobster Day. Oh, interesting. You gotta, gotta celebrate. You gotta have a lobster yeah, fight. I don't know. I got a text from Red Lobsters this morning saying, Happy <laughs> National Lobster Day. Stop on in. So I'm like, oh, that actually sounds kind of good. I'll go to Red Lobster when they do a Happy National Cheddar Bay Biscuit Day. That's every day. I know. I love all right. that. Well, stuff. that's all I had for news for today, Mike. Should we look at where the markets reacted or closed after all of the news we had coming out today? Well, Delaney, our markets are brought to us, of course, by our good friends at the Zaner Group. You can get in touch with any one of their talented market strategists and help them help you put a plan in place to protect your marketing risks. So give them a call, 312-277-0050, or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. And, Delaney, I misspoke a little bit earlier. I said corn was higher. It finished lower. We are red all down the screen in the grain markets. Looking at the corn contracts off the bat, July was down one and a quarter at 361 and three quarters. December also off one and a quarter at 383 and a quarter. Soybeans, man, they took the brunt of the pain today. The July contract down 21 and three quarters cents, finished at 9.05 and a half. November down 20 cents even to close the week at 9.30. In Chicago wheat, July was off two cents at 4.99 and a half, while the SEP was down four cents as well, excuse me, four and a quarter cents to close at 5.13 even. Jumping over to the livestock side of the ledger, things turned around throughout the day. The June live cattle contract was up $2.20 at $108.45. August up $2.90 at $104.77.50. In feeder cattle, almost limit up in the front month August contract. They closed $4.30 higher at $147.97.50. September up thirty at $3.47.50 at $148.27.50. 
and lean hogs mixed trade today. The July contract was up ten cents at eighty one seventy two fifty, and the August was down thirty five to close the week at seventy eight two fifty. Let's take a look over at the dairy market. We are still in dairy month here in June, and the June contract was in fact up a penny at fifteen thirty seven, with the July down thirteen cents to close at fifteen forty three. Before we get to our conversation about diversifying the Holstein genetic lottery, let's go ahead and hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. This week we are speaking with Phil Long, agronomy specialist with Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, yellow top has been showing up around the area. What can growers do to be on the lookout for this? Sure. Yeah, it seems like it's showing up a lot. I've noticed it uh, throughout the fields in this, this yellow top or rapid growth syndrome or, or buggy whipping, whatever you want to call it. Uh, has a lot of different names, but um, it, it's, it's simply basically a, the leaves trying to emerge from the whorl of the corn and they end up twisted and all wrapped up because they're growing too fast. And typically we see it you know, when it's really warm and the temperatures are, are favorable for really strong growth conditions in the corn. And, um, it can happen, happen in any particular year, and, and I've seen quite a bit of it this year. But it's usually around that V4, V6 time period, but it can happen later. And, and that's why guys typically, they'll, they'll misdiagnose it for something like a herbicide damage on a growth regulator or something. But, but you just, just remember that it's, uh, it's going to be random throughout the field, unlike a herbicide damage where you should be able to spot a pattern. And it's typically, uh, this the symptoms are going to show up later in the season. So it's V4, V6 time period. It's a little late for a herbicide injury. So the biggest thing is it's not going to cause any yield damage, and that's what most guys get concerned with. It'll outgrow it in about a week or so, and, and you won't hardly see any remnants, just some yellow tops and eventually some crinkled leaves, and it'll be fine. Absolutely, Phil. And folks, if you want more information on agronomic advice, you can give them a call at Latham High Tech Seeds at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit their website at LathamSeeds.com. Well, today we've got a very interesting interview with Dr. Chad Deckow, who is the Associate Professor of Dairy Cattle Genetics at Penn State University, going to be talking about Holstein dairy cattle genetics in particular. Chad, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I found this article. It's called Holstein's Born at Penn State Farm, Bred to Improve Genetic Diversity, and folks will share that on the Ag News Daily social media handles. But, Chad, the thing I found most interesting to kick it off here is that the Holstein breed in North America, and more specifically the U.S., traces back to just two or three cattle, I guess you could say, two two different breeds or two different dairy cattle. Bulls. Can you tell us? Yeah. Can you walk us through that a little bit? How is that possible that the whole Holstein herd is based off of just those two or three bulls? Yeah. So just to clarify a little bit, um, it's all of the males can be traced through their male lineage back to two bulls. Okay. Gotcha. Primarily two bulls. Um, born in the 1960s, a bull named Chief and a bull named Elevation. There was actually a bull here at Penn State named Penn State Ivanhoe Star, um, and there and his father Ivanhoe was considered by many to be the father of the Holstein breed. And he has maybe one or two descendants left, but it looks like all the rest go back to Chief and Elevation. And Penn State Ivanhoe Star and Chief also share a lineage if you go back further enough far enough back to, say, the nineteen the 1900s. So um, 
and chief in elevation, as far as we can tell, they are they do not share any male ancestors to the male lineage, at least through the 1880s, which is when the herd book is established. So, but every so every Holstein bull that's born today goes to chief or elevation, and then maybe about 0.1 percent might go back to Penn State Ivan Holstar. Now let's let's break that down for our folks who aren't involved in livestock or, or don't have to think about genetics very often. What does that mean for the herd as a whole when you can trace everything back to two, perhaps three bulls in total? So the Y chromosome, which is transmitted only from father to son, that means that essentially we have very little genetic variation on the Y chromosome. And so the the question is, is that important or not? And the answer to that is, to some extent, we don't necessarily really know. Uh, the Y chromosome is important for fertility and so forth. But in the dairy industry, we don't milk our bulls. We only milk the cows. Right. So, <laughs> so it's maybe not as uh, alarming as it might first appear in terms of the genetic variants of the Holstein breed in general. Um because, you know, we, our cows don't have a Y chromosome. So, so we would like to study the Y chromosome a little bit more, find out, is that variation important? Are there some fertility variants that have been lost that could be valuable to add back to the population? Um, so, but the Y chromosome itself, you know, maybe, maybe we just need one really good one. So. That's very interesting. So now, Walk us through some of the research that you have been doing at Penn State because you mentioned there you have the the bull that dates back quite a few years ago, but you guys are also working to basically start a new gene pool. Is that correct? That is correct. So what we've done is, you know, this project started out, I have a colleague, uh, Dr. Wan Chang Lu, who is a professor of animal genomics <laughs> here at Penn State, Colleague, and, uh, I got it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, but but anyway, he was talking about uh, Y chromosome variation and male fertility, and that's kind of his expertise. And I told him, well, I don't know that there's very many Y chromosomes in the Holstein breed. So that kind of started the the process of us evaluating pedigrees to see is there many male lineage are there many male lineages and the answer to that of course was that there were no there are basically two and so then the next step was okay are there other male lineages that have been lost over time that could potentially be recovered and USDA has a germplasm program where they have banked semen from uh, many different bulls including some that are back born in the 1950s and so we were able to find two bulls in that repository that do not share a male lineage with chiefer elevation going back as far as we can go back to the 1880s through the herd book. So what we did with the help of select sires and transova was to actually create some IVF embryos using that really old semen hmm. and um, the two oldest bulls now are, they were a year old in March. They're now at Select Sires uh, having their semen collected. 
And and then we've got four other bulls here at Penn State that go back to a bull named Zimmerman All-Star Pilot, who was born in 1954. So And they have some sisters at the Penn State farm as well. So we're interested to see how they do, how they compare in terms of – it's kind of a neat experiment because these bulls are – their sire is really old-time genetics, but their dam is a modern cow who's actually quite good. So it's it's almost like a, a little bit of a crossbreeding experiment where we're crossing new genetics with old genetics and, and, and trying to see how they perform. And if they perform well, what that'll tell us is that there's a lot of opportunities to intergress lost genetic variation back into the population without compromising performance, and that will help us to have greater long-term genetic potential if we can add additional genetic variation back to the population. Absolutely. And now in the uh, in the article, it's mentioned that these these older genetic lines have some very different physical characteristics from their more modern day counterparts. They're a, they're a little yeah. thicker, a little more heavily muscled and a little shorter. Now, do you expect those traits to be passed on? I mean, like you mentioned, you're mixing the old with the new. And I, I don't know the, all that much about genetics. I remember making those grids back in the day. But uh, yeah. <laughs> what? Does height get passed on? Is that a dominant gene? Yeah, so uh, traits like height and milk production and so forth, it's not, uh, they're controlled by many, many genes, potentially thousands of genes spread across the entire genome. So it's not a dominant or recessive type of characteristic so much as as it is how much of the variation is due to genetics. And and all of these traits have a lot of variation that's due to genetic differences among the animals. So um, so we, so when we cross these older and newer lines, we're expecting to get um, some hybrid vigor added in as well, mm-hmm. uh, because hybrid vigor essentially it's kind of the release of inbreeding depression. And so when you've got these older lines that aren't related to the modern lines. You'll have less inbreeding, and and we should get a little hybrid vigor. In addition to that, we've made a lot of genetic progress, uh, close to 10,000 pounds of genetic progress in milk yield for the Holstein breed. So we're mixing essentially bulls that are zero with bulls that are plus 10,000, and uh, (laughs) add that together with hybrid vigor. We'll see what we get. So when you look at the dairy industry as a whole, we're sitting right now in a time of really high milk production oversupply, of course, is is a top of mind to many dairy producers. What does adding in, and I know you mentioned you don't know exactly what the Y chromosome will do, but what does adding in a new, I guess basically a new genetic poll uh, do for the dairy industry? What traits are you looking to change or alter by adding these new these new bulls to the herd? Yeah, so you bring up a really great point. And, and actually for some time, the, we've gotten really good at selecting for higher milk yield and higher fat yield and higher protein yield. And we don't really need, that's not our primary focus at this point. So our primary focus is looking at the other side and saying, what can we do to kind of reduce expenses on the farm? And having cattle that are more fertile, 
helps us to reduce expenses having cows that are more resistant to disease helps us to reduce expenses so those are a couple of the big things where we think that there's uh, some of this older genetic variation has a lot to add because we know that when we selected for higher milk yield fertility levels declined now you know we have kind of turned the corner a little bit on fertility and we're starting to see fertility genetic levels at least they've stabilized and maybe there's some evidence that are starting to improve a little bit, but we've still lost a lot of genetic potential for fertility. So uh, if we can improve the cow's health, improve the cow's fertility, especially in an environment where antibiotics are being more closely scrutinized, we think that'll that'll help with the long-term sustainability of the dairy industry. Absolutely. Now, Corey, when you think over the next several years, of course, you mentioned you've got two bulls now at Select Sires. They are going to have their uh, semen distributed. When these, it, it, well, as Delaney mentioned, dairying is, is tough right now. Dairy farmers like to go with, with what works, what's proven. And this is, of course, a novel semen type. We don't really know what we're going to get. Who do you expect to be the first, the early adopters of these uh, different genetic lines? So I don't expect that it's going to initially be widely adopted. Um, I think what we need to do is first to demonstrate here at the Penn State herd how these animals perform and, um, and, and maybe a couple cooperator herds here and there that use a little bit of the semen. So if you've got uh, 100 cows and one of them happens to be this older genetic line, um, if that one doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. So... So we're not going to see widespread use of these bulls, just a little bit here and there. And then the goal is to demonstrate that it works and to identify daughters of these bulls that do the best. And then it's kind of, you know, breeding is always a slow process. And and this is, if it's successful, it's something that's going to take some time. Absolutely. I've just got a quick yeah. follow-up. For you about that. So, are you going to be tracking the uh, the genetic descendants of these bulls? That is the goal. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, I guess looking larger picture again, do other did other do other countries have this problem of having such a narrow genetic pool, or is it because the U.S. was established so much later than European cultures and other cultures that that's why we have such a small herd to pick from? So the global genetics industry, well, the genetics industry in general is a global industry. So, um, so everybody's in the same boat to some extent. There are some instances where things are a little bit different. Um, for example, the Norwegian Red Breeding Program, it's kind of controlled by one company. So they are able to make strategic decisions for the long-term future of the breed. Um, the problem with Holsteins is that, you know, there are many many companies from many countries marketing Holstein genetics, and it's a really intense competition, and you have to be able to market the best. So if you if you need to be worried about marketing the very best bull, you don't necessarily have a chance to step back and say, okay, what's going to be the best for 20 years from now in terms of mm -hmm. genetic diversity and, and to think strategically like that. You're, you are in... You know, it's it's tough for farmers right now, and it's also tough for some of the companies that support them. And so the artificial insemination industry, it's it's a cutthroat industry as well. And 
you know, they, they recognize that we're losing genetic diversity, but they don't uh, have the, they just can't really afford to market the second best bull in order for genetic diversity purposes. Right. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to justify that added expense if if producers aren't going to, you know, want to spend that kind of money. And to that end, I wanted to ask you from a a cost per straw, per straw of semen, how do these the tubules that are currently at select sires, how do they rate price-wise compared to some of the the more common uh, genetic lineages? Oh, their cost would be pretty much the same as okay. any other bull. The the processing costs wouldn't be any different for them. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. I was just wondering if, uh, you know, you had to provide a discount to get growers to try to add some. Mm. Well, you know, that's a, yeah. So the cost of production is the same. Um, we expect that there'd probably be some farms that we would be giving a little bit of semen to, to generate some daughters. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Dr. Chad Decal, thank you so much for, uh, for filling us in on this. This has been really interesting. We'll definitely have to uh, have you keep us updated on where you guys are sitting at with your research. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Dr. Chad Deckow talking about some interesting stuff going on for our dairy-producing friends. You bet, folks. If you're in the dairy industry, you know, go to their website. Check that out. You know, see if uh, this is something you want to look at doing. I love the fact that he was like, well, we don't know what the implications mm-hmm. are. You know, we're going to try it and see. So, yeah, interesting cool stuff. research coming in the future. A good Friday episode. Good Friday finish, finishing episode. Really. Absolutely. Folks, if you want to tune into our past episodes or even just our past Friday episodes, you can do it on the Ag News Daily website. Just type that into your web browser or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook just by Googling or searching for Ag News Daily. Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.